Awesome. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. Really pleased to have you all here. I see Eva and Margo and Lori and Dawn and Matt, Elizabeth, Gina, Carol, Kathy, Lori. You guys, we're not going to turn your cameras on. We're not going to turn your sound. We don't want to see you, <laughs> except for Margo, who just popped in. Um, we have about 170 people who registered for this webinar, which is really exciting. Um, and we expect, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess like 40 may show up live, maybe. Well, we're already, what are we at right now? We're at about almost 30. Yeah, maybe we'll end up with about 40 people. And then we end up with at least 40 people more that watch the webinar as a recording. And then we end up with at least 60 people that listen to the podcast because we transfer everything to a podcast. So when people are driving to teach or driving to a client, it's a great time to you're walking your dog. That's when I listen to webinars. So it's, it's so that's really fun for us. Um, I have three really very articulate people on this webinar. I'm very excited. I hope I can keep them under control because one is more intelligent than the next. Seriously, Dr. Aaron. Now I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Help me here. I'm, I want to say Nietzsche, but it's it's Nitschke. Nitschke. Like Ray Nitschke. Like I have no idea who Ray. Oh, Nitschke. dead football player. Never mind. Dead foot. <laughs> Aaron, dead football player. Okay, there we go. She's an industry writer, a presenter, a tenured exercise science professor. She holds certifications, oh my gosh, from just about everybody. Um, she's a health coach. She's a therapeutic exercise specialist. Um, she's an editorial author for IDEA and ACE and NFPT. She writes she everything. Amazing woman. We're very excited to have Dr. Aaron with us. Notice how I avoided the last name. Gotcha. And then we've got... Sohala, who for like 19 years I called Sohalia, which it's not, it's Sohala. Okay. I'm really going to work on that for the, you know, 20th year. Um, she's a registered dietitian, author, developer of this wonderful program called 52 um, Day Best Body, Best Body Countdown Program for Gyms. And this provides the missing link in the fitness puzzle on nutrition. She's got over 25 years of experience in the industry. She's pre been presenting at our conventions. She's one of the favorite presenters, not only of our attendees, but of our staff. She's lovely to work with. So she really guides clients through their goals. So this is really nice to do. And we have Dr. Pa uh, Parker Hyde, and he's an assistant professor at the University of North Georgia, where he currently serves as the Human Performance Lab Director. Um, his translational work in oncology, insulin resistance, and athletic performance has contributed to the robust scientific support for the therape therapeutic use of nutritional ketosis. And he's been featured in a whole bunch of media outlets, um, US News and World Report, He's got 10 years experience working with sports performance and elite athletes. We're really excited to have him on board. So we've, we've got three phenomenal people with us tonight. And I've got our, our development um, uh, expert for SCW is Chris Purple, who is managing us and trying to manage me, which is always a challenge. Um, he's wonderful. And he's helping us with this 
fueling your performance. And what we're going to talk about is how nutrition plays a part in supporting optimal health and performance. We're going to look at recovery, overall wellness. We're going to address like um, plant-based diets, ketogenic diets, blah, 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 just ways to help us fuel ourselves and our clients. So, you know, wiggle your mouse and please go to the bottom of the screen. You're going to see that green screen, that, that button that says share screen, go to the left of that. That's your chat box. You all know what it looks like. It looks like a little speaking thing. Click on that and it opens up. Tell me who you are and where you're from. Just give me your first name and where you're from. We love to see this. Um, uh, Chris has also been so kind as to connect um, and put everybody in here about how you can reach our, our lovely panelists. But again, please do type in your messages. Cindy, she's from North Carolina. Um, we've got Jackie from Alabama, Michelle from New York. We've got people coming in from California, Montreal, Maryland, from all over the United States. I can't even say America. We're going into Canada. Um, Maryland, Michigan, a um, couple people. Oh, Tampa. Love the Tampa. Um, all right, guys. So we're going to launch right in because we've got 45 minutes of nonstop talking. So um, Aaron, I'm going to start with you because you look the most intelligent because you're the one wearing glasses. We've got <laughs> what are some common misconceptions about nutrition and how yeah, that'll that'll last 45 minutes by itself. And then how can people navigate conflicting dietary advice while staying within their scope of practice? Great question. And I think when it comes to misconceptions of nutrition, any corner you look in, there's a misconception. There's even misunderstandings between different professionals, right? Um, so one of the things that I think is, is the most important when it comes to the scope of practice and staying within it is one being familiar with what your state laws say. Ultimately, you're governed by those state statutes, uh, as well as your certifying agency. But I think one of the other things with that is, is please don't be afraid to talk about nutrition. Like don't close the door on it because you do play a really critical role in helping your clients understand the role that macros and micros play in not only just fueling for activities of daily living, but fueling for performance and recovery as well. And I think where the misconceptions come in, you know, we live in a, a social media, digitally driven world, right? And you've got fitfluencers or instant influence, like whatever you want to call those people peddling this insanity. And, and sometimes those voices are a little bit louder than legitimate professionals like us in this room. And, and I think one of those things is, is being able to talk to your clients intelligently about general nutrition advice and guidance without going into the line of providing a meal plan, or if it gets really specific that's the domain of a registered dietitian and, and we need to be comfortable referring out. Um, and if, and I always say to my students, when in doubt, refer out, just refer out. And it's really important to build that professional network. So you have registered dietitians that you trust and can provide a referral source to them for your clients so that you don't get yourself in trouble and you don't also mislead your clients because truthfully, you do not know nutritional deficiencies, you can, you can suspect based on things your clients have told you, or maybe on a dietary food log recall, you can maybe suspect like, okay, they're not hydrating enough or wow, they're eating like four bowls of, 
you know, rice puffs every single day, just like insert whatever there you can suspect, but to call out those deficiencies is really not our role. Um, and then yeah, always and I, providing. Yeah. I like Aaron, when you said, you know, when in doubt refer out, I really like that. And I don't think, you know, that scares people sometimes because they yeah. think, oh my gosh, I'm going to refer out and I'm losing a client. You're not no. losing a client. You're gaining another person that can potentially refer back to you and recommend you. 100%. And, and we, before we turn the camera on, I remember I brought this up. I always put, put on my legal hat now and then. Why not? Because I went to three years of law school and I did pass the bar exam. Yeah. My mother used to remind me all the time, like, why do you teach aerobics? Um, but we, we, if we simply tell our clients, you know, I'm not a registered dietitian or a licensed dietitian, but my understanding is that you might want to eat, you know, five servings of vegetables a day, and you might want to stay away from that, you know, that high fatty hamburger if you're trying to lose the weight. But I would recommend to get a detailed, um, prescription to go to a licensed or registered dietitian. But we can't, you're right. We're the closest people to the, to, we see our students like an hour, a couple times a week, and we do get to know them. Um, Parker, what are your thoughts on staying within the scope of your practice or what type of recommendations we can make as fitness professionals? Uh, I'm going to agree with everything that both of y'all just said. Um, typically, when you start getting into, I, I mean, everyone here knows that when you start getting into gray water, you kind of start getting off in this area where you're like, oh, no, I shouldn't really be here, right? Kind of trust that gut feeling and know that you're like a hop, skip, and a jump past where you probably should be when you start questioning whether or not you should be there. Um, anytime we're talking about clinical diagnosis as a fitness professional without an RD, that is a full scale. Do not talk about it. Like, don't go there. That is 100% we're referring out. Um, if, if we're, even if we're thinking that someone might have something, right. Someone comes in with every clinical symptom of bulimia, anorexia, any sort of protein deficiency, whatever, like we're referring out every single time there's going to be clinical hallmarks that you're going to see. Um, I think that before we were, before we came onto this, we were talking as a group and something that Sahela brought up that I'm going to bring up here something else that we can do to make sure we're protecting our scope is refer the client, refer the patient, refer whoever you're working with to the resources themselves, right? Like have a list of really good websites, have a list of really good reference materials and readings and books and podcasts that you can rapidly refer out. Um, I know for myself personally, I've got like kind of a litany of resources that I go to immediately. Like if I'm working Ooh. with someone that wants to investigate a ketogenic diet, it's like, here's two books you need to read these. If they're interested in this, they're like, here's a website. You need to go here. Do you yeah. mind Parker throwing in that book on the ketogenic diets? 100%. Yeah, it's called the art and science of low carbohydrate living. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. Book. And yeah, if you guys right. have questions, type it in the chat box. These, these three, these three amazing people are just a wealth of knowledge. And so Hela, here we go. Tell us about your week, would you please? <laughs> oh, I was telling them about my week. <laughs> so I guess it made an impact. But the people that I was specifically working with this week, I would say more than, uh, I was about 75% of them are fitness pros. I should say um, my brand is RD on your team. So kind of like you guys have mentioned before, 
as, as a fitness pro, who's also a dietitian, I decided to make my brand come alongside instead of saying, instead of it being a fight, like, you know, this, and I know this, why don't we just come together? And so what I do is I represent a lot of companies as the RD on their team, small personal trainers, bigger companies, whatever it is, so that they have somebody right in their back pocket to refer out to. And so that's what's happened this week. I had a, a good handful of clients and a lot of them being fitness pros and lots of just negative words that they were saying about themselves, um, literally words like fall short, guilty. Um, personally, I don't use the word guilty with food almost ever, but they back to back to back were saying that one of them was saying, I know I'm supposed to track my food all the time. I'm like, who told you you were supposed to track your food all the time? And she says, my trainer. And I'm like, who are they? And give me their number. No, I did not say that. But I was tempted because I think that's where the scope gets really iffy. We get passionate. And I mean, all of us who work in fitness have to be passionate. I can't get in a in Zumba wear and get in front of a class if I'm not a passionate personality, right? You can't get people to squat low and push them through these hard things if you're not passionate. So we all get passionate. And sometimes we have to say, you know, I'm too passionate to go into this right now because it's not my scope. Um, but I have my opinions, but I'd rather you, you know, see someone who can see your labs, who can see your chart who can take time to explore that with you. And I'm going to stay in my scope. So um, I really, it breaks my heart when I hear people just talking so much about the negative things that they're learning and struggling with, because really food is meant to be enjoyable. It's meant to fuel us. And in my opinion, it's meant to fuel us so we can do things that are a greater purpose instead of be our greater purpose. Like, I don't think anybody's purpose is calorie counting, meal prep and exercise. I think that all helps us to be strong and energetic and fueled for the other things. And that can be a small part. So I think in fitness, sometimes we give it too big of a role. Um, and so I think as trainers, you, you know, if you guys work with people one-on-one, -on -one, you should tell them nutrition's important. You should direct them to some of the sites and books, but be careful not to make it all about exercise or nutrition as if it's not fueling them for another thing. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And um, I, I find it very interesting. We get very controlled in our diets as fitness pros, because I still think to a great degree, we're, we're surface, you know, if I look healthy, then I am healthy. If I'm skinny, I'm healthy. And that's not necessarily the case. Definitely yeah. not the case. Um, and a lot of times we get caught with our image being our brand, right? In this field. So it's one of those things where it's tough. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we it, get caught, we get caught into that. Um, Parker, I'm going to start with you. How can we assess our clients' nutritional needs initially? Like, how can you evaluate them nutritionally? And how do you develop it over time? How do you start with looking at their nutritional needs? Yep. So I'm going to take, I'm going to flip, flip this question really fast. Um, so the first thing that I want to do whenever I'm really working with a client on nutrition, right? Um, so I did, I did a PhD in nutrition or in exercise physiology, but I was basically in a lab that focused on ketogenic diets and we ran clinical controlled feeding studies, um, where we would work with people, which is called like ad libitum. So we would let them eat however they wanted. We would do controlled feeding where we would feed them hundred percent of the calories for weeks and weeks and weeks and months on end. Um, so I did a lot of nutrition counseling alongside our RD. And one of the things that we would always do is address nutritional biases up front. Um, so we make sure that if we're going to put someone onto a diet, or we're going to be talking about some sort of dietary strategy with them, we need to know what it is that they naturally gravitate towards. If they're a meat and potatoes kind of person, we need to know that up front. If they're someone that can't stand the texture of meat, or they have a religious reason, or they have an ethical reason why they don't eat meat, 
those are the things that we need to know a priori. We need to know those things ahead of time, right? After we kind of establish the nutritional biases up front, then my next variable that I go to is going to be what someone's basal metabolic rate is and then what their total daily energy expenditure is going to be. I'm looking at calories up front, right? So with me working in a lab and always having been around lab-based materials for the past 10 years, um, I, I kind of go towards more lab-based things. So I'm going to use something called indirect calorimetry. It's a great way to directly, well, it's an indirect, but it's a really good way to measure someone's basal metabolic rate or their resting metabolic rate. From there, I can kind of add calories onto their diet based off of their, their daily energy expenditure, how much exercise they're doing. Um, what their job looks like, if they're construction, like manual labor and they frame houses, or if they sit at a desk all day. Um, so I can kind of start with the calories and then begin to play with macronutrients. If I don't have access to all that lab-based equipment, where I'm going to go is I'm going to start using some sort of diet calculator or a nutrition, like a um, macronutrient, not macronutrient, but a calorie calculator. Sorry, it took me a while. Um, the two equations that I like to use are a Mifflin-St-Gior equation. That's one that I, I see a lot of times that works really well. Um, so I'm actually just going to stick with Mifflin-St-Gior. That's the one that I go to most often. It's the one that I've seen tracks the most correct. Um, there's a website that I will also direct people to. It's Lee Peel, um, and I can drop that in as well. You can kind of help your client calculate out their calories and then play with it from there. Um, as I'm going and how I manipulate and how I develop over time, again, staying within scope, um, kind of constantly addressing biases and then constantly looking at what their calories are, what their calorie output, what their weight's kind of doing, and then manipulating from there, making sure that we're not dropping weight too fast, gaining weight too fast, et cetera. Oh, interesting. And Aaron, I saw you nodding a lot with your head up and down, not side to side, head up and down. So you obviously agree with Parker. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I do. I think it's really important because to address those biases, because every person that you work with is going to come with their different set of needs, their different set of cultural impacts, their a different set of perceptions. And if we're really going to effectively work with them and support them, we need to have an understanding of where they're coming from. It's kind of like just meet your client where they're at. And one of the things I like to do when a client often will come to you with a very nebulous goal, like I need to eat healthy. Well, what does that mean? Because eating healthy to me is something different than to this person. Same thing with the whole, like, I need to eat clean. I like to explore what that looks and feels like to somebody. And I also like to get an understanding of maybe some misunderstandings that they have, you know, they'll read something on social media or, you know, muscleandfiction.com or whatever the case is. And they're going to say, well, I need to, I, I have to cut all of this out. And then that's like a fear-based type of mentality. And I want to explore it. And I want to find out, so what concerns you about, I'll just use carbohydrate-based foods because it's an easy go-to because we hear that a lot, right? Um, and I want to explore what that means and where that fear is coming from, just so I get an understanding and I use motivational interviewing techniques with them to try to draw that out and, and get into a really good conversation. When it comes to clients wanting really specific nutrient analysis, like I don't, I don't have a lab, I don't have indirect calorimetry or anything like that. I also use the Mifflin St. Dior, but I also like to encourage those blood tests. So like, why don't we refer you out to a, your primary care provider, a dietitian to do a blood test or even an HTMA? 
Like, let's find out what's going on in the cells. That's not my job to interpret that, but it's something you can encourage to get like a bigger picture of what's going on and then get those specific recommendations from the dietitian themselves. Um, so I really like to just get into that conversation of what does it look and feel like and how do I help support them? Like, I like to be for things, not against them. Um, so my initial instinct is not to ever say like, oh, don't, don't do that. That's stupid. Because if, if they're coming to you, they've got a legitimate interest in it and they probably have legitimate concerns that need to be addressed, or at least you need to provide them with some sort of evidence-based information to help help educate them in that realm. Like, here's just something to think about. And then if, again, and it's that, outside your scope, move on. Yeah, and, and this is really good because a lot of us on this call are, and I think we all know how at some point to use some of our reactions can you guys go to the reactions? If you go down, move your mouse to the bottom of your screen, you can see that green uh, share button. Scoot over one, two, three times. You're going to see reactions. Do me a favor. Give me a thumbs up if you are a licensed dietitian or a registered dietitian. Give me a thumbs up. I don't see a lot of thumbs up. Okay. Give me a heart. If you're a fitness pro, give me a heart if you're a fitness pro and you just want to learn more about, you know, nutrition, which you can do better for yourself. Am I the only, oh, there we go. There we go. Okay. So a lot of us on this call, you know, we're, we're the fitness pros and this is some of the things that we can do. We can go to a registered or licensed dietitian. We can get some of these, these tests. Um, looking at our blood volume to see exactly kind of a, a healthy, maybe maybe to be able to make some healthier choices for ourselves. So I think that that's really nice. And I love the idea of figuring out how many calories I can eat and what is my exercise program looking like? I like being able to put that together. Um, and then how does nutrition impact performance in athletes um, and fitness pros? So Hala, you know, what are some key nutrients that you think our athletes and we, the fitness pros need to focus on? Okay. And I did, can I just piggyback on what they just talked about? Yes, briefly? Please. Yeah. Left me out on that one. I, <laughs> I wanted to make sure I said, I, I like the BMR, the basal testing for sure, or RMR, they're used fairly interchangeably depending on what field you're coming from. And so um, you know, like Parker said, he has the advantage of having indirect corral enrollment. Most of us do not, but I do as a dietitian in my practice, I do use um, an RMR testing equipment because I do want to know the accurate amount. And, you know, I, I disagree and agree with the Mifflin St. Jor in that a lot of the clients that I work with are fitness pros and um, fitness enthusiasts. And by the time they're paying cash to work with a dietitian, because they don't have a diagnosis, a lot of times in the fitness industry, they're only 10 or 15 pounds overweight their bigger issue is more they're frustrated of what to do than it is, you know, I'm morbidly obese. They're not, that's not my clientele as much. Mine is more like the people in your classes and that you're working with because I'm a fitness-based dietitian. And so a lot of times if I do that Mifflin St. George calculation and I compare it to the BMR or RMR that I'm getting from the, from the actual breathing carbon dioxide oxygen exchange, in a lot of my clients, it's a lot lower because they have fad dieted for so long and they have compromised their metabolism by eating things that have reduced their muscle mass or reduced the total calories that they should be eating. So I do think that not everybody needs that, 
but I do think a lot of people do. And I think, you know, they're going to plug into my fitness pal and get, you know, a 1200 baseline. Cause that's what almost everybody gets. And then, and then Mifflin St. George may be going to give them 2,600 and they're going to panic about that depending on their age for calories. So I think the the RMR is a really good tool, especially um, for you guys to just encourage them to find a dietitian who uses one or to find a personal, um, a physical therapist who uses one. They don't give them the data. They, they don't um, interpret the data. They just provide it or a university. So I often send them to that if they really feel frustrated, like nothing's working. Um, so those are some good things because I think just assessing them in a quick conversation, like a lot of us are tempted to do when we want to help um, can be more harm than help a lot of times because we need to know more to it. And sometimes we make it a bigger thing than it is. You know, they get all this blood test and their daughter's like, your hormone's fine. Why are you doing this? This is fine. Why are you doing this? And a lot of times it's just a couple small tweaks. And so I would say on the front end, get some help from a dietitian instead of spending a fortune on all these other things that might work when you know there's people who have spent their whole life training to work on this sort of thing with you. Um, so that's just a, a kind of a thought that I wanted to add to that. And then if you want me to ask the next question, I'm, answer the next question, I'm happy to, but I might need you to repeat it for me. Okay. All right. That's good. And what do you got, uh, Parker and Aaron, what do you think about what Sohela chimed in with? Yeah. And so basically the concept that she just brought up is metabolic adaptation, right? Um, so there is, if we were to graph this, right, I'm a big graph person science. Um, if we were to graph it out, basically like we have a, all this testing that we're talking about, this RMR and BMR testing, it is a it's a measured, it's a calculated ratio that we're basically looking at, right? So what this test looks like for a lot of you, if you've never seen it, um, depending on the device that we're going to use, we might have a mask, we might have a breathing tube, or we have this like ventilation hood. It's like this clear, big bubble that you put over you. It looks like a little capsule hood almost. Um, and what it actually does is it measures the amount of carbon dioxide that you exhale relative to the amount of oxygen you breathe in. Off of that, we can roughly calculate how many calories you're expending. You do it early in the morning or you do it upon like this really quiet period of time where we're looking at your caloric expenditure directly in the moment. So it's measured. Um, now, all the equations that we're talking about, those are what are called predicted. So if you spend a lot of time yo-yo dieting or you spend a lot of time on a chronic calorie restriction in a protein deficient state or something like that, your predicted metabolic rate is actually going to be significantly higher than your measured metabolic rate. So what Sahela is essentially talking about is this disconnect that exists where if your, if, if you, your predicted metabolic rate is reading significantly higher, and then you start eating that, you might see weight gain start to happen. And that can start to in, introduce some sort of frustration within the client. Same thing on the opposite side. Um, if you drop calories too low, you might see really rapid weight loss and that's getting into kind of that dangerous realm where we might be losing lean muscle mass, et cetera. So yeah, I echo chamber everything that Sohela was saying. All right. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You in there, Aaron? Yeah. Same thing. And I really like the point that Sohela brought up about, you know, before you, you invest all of this money on really expensive stuff, it is really a smart idea to have that conversation with someone who can give very specific recommendations and really provide that either medical nutrition therapy or nutrition counseling that most fitness professionals are unable to do because they are not credentialed in that same way. Um, and ask for like, what would I need to do? What rocks do I need to lift up and, and look under for, for answers to this? Because those tests can be very expensive and it's going to very much depend on like, is what somebody's insurance looks like, 
all of these different these different variables that can compound the issue. Um, so it is really important to have that conversation with someone like a registered dietitian that can say, well, this is what yeah. this test can show you. But what if we start here and kind of get some of that that history from that individual before going in and spending what could be thousands of dollars, really and truthfully. Well, and, and it, interestingly enough, what you can do is when you go see your doctor and you're doing your yearly checkup, talk about the issues you're having and you're having your you know with your eating and the diet, and you can ask your doc, doctor, can you write a prescription for me? And then when you go and you try to get, get it covered by your insurance company, trust me, the first time you go through, they're going to deny it, but you have to put it through again and you have to pursue it. And, you know, these are, these are very important things. What, what always amazes me is how the medical community will pay as a, will pay to repair a problem, but it doesn't pay to prevent a problem. So if it's emphasized and you you focus on it as an individual and go in, and fortunately I've got uh, one of my sons it does have some medical issues that I've always had to be this advocate, be an advocate, be an advocate for yourself and, and see if you can get it covered. All right, so Hala, you did not get out of this. Um, how does nutrition impact performance in athletes and in fitness? And what are some key nutrients that our clients should focus on? And it's not just our clients. Hello, we're being a little selfish here. It's ourselves as well. Well, I always say major on the majors. So I tell people if we're not doing well with the basics, let's not add any supplements or anything until we've got the basics. So if they're dehydrated, creatine is going to make that worse, right? So all the things they could add, it might make it worse if they're having that issue. And a lot of people are dehydrated. I mean, just this week, I had a fitness professional said, so Hala, I've been really consistent with water this whole month of May because I'm paying you to work with me. I figured I'd be more consistent. And it actually makes a difference. And I was like, you know, do you want me to dramatically, you know, shock, act shocked? Because sometimes it's just those little basic things that they do, but they don't do them consistently enough to get the benefit from it. So basic things like hydration, basic things like enough calories. We know that if we don't have enough calories, um, for men, especially testosterone is going to plummet. If we don't have enough of the basic macronutrients like fat, testosterone, everything's going to work against you. If you don't have enough calories, you don't sleep as well. If if you have too many calories too late at night, you don't sleep as well because you're you know possibly having indigestion and things like that. So the very most basic things, fluid and fuel, um, just like you would for your car, gas and oil. And kind of, I use oil as a water analogy. It doesn't make your car go, but it will definitely make it stop and burn up. Like I learned when I was a college student, not having managed my oil <laughs> on my little bitty Corolla. But in the end, those are your two basics. So if we get those down good, then I then I move next towards fiber and total um, total energy level. And then we kind of move it in one step at a time. And then fiber usually brings with it, always brings with it carbohydrates. And that's our main exercise fuel source. And that's the one our brain and our body prefers. And so we talk about which carbohydrates are going to lend more towards weight gain if they're having too much um, and which ones are going to lend towards longevity and all those things. So I'll break those down and then making sure they have a balanced plate and then they balance their timing before and after their workouts to make sure they fuel it best and recover best. And so that's kind of like the the level at which I start. I can't go straight to recovering timing matters if they're eating only 900 calories it won't matter that much if the, or if their fluids off, it won't matter that much that they're prioritizing recovery timing. Interesting. Uh, that's great stuff. Erin, um, what do you think about 
nutrition impacting performance in athletes and, and fitness pros? Completely echo everything Sahela said. Um, I like to think of protein, fats, and carbs as teammates, and they often function better together than they do separately. And I think sometimes when you're working with an athlete or even fitness professionals, like I mentioned earlier, the orthorexia thing, um, you know, there's this disconnect between what it looks like on the outside, because we can see that we can't see what's happening on the inside metabolically. And what I've seen with working with athletes is being deficient in things like their protein and their whole goal is fat loss, but they're eating in a deficit and they're also eating in a protein deficit. And then they're working out too hard and too fast because in their mind, more is more, you know, and more is better. And sometimes more is, is not better. (laughs) It, we need to kind of back off of that and really look at like, get those basics covered. Are you sleeping? Are you hydrated? If you're not, then what are the barriers to those things? And I think sometimes it, it is that mentality of, well, I need to look the part. And so we get into this mentality of restriction so that we can be smaller, like in this business of making ourselves smaller, instead of taking up the space that we need to take up and uh, battling some of those kind of misconceptions in, in an athlete's mind. And I think I've seen that with fitness professionals. There was a great article that came out in 2018, um, an idea about does the fitness industry have a body image problem? Highly recommend it. It was by Amanda Vogel, one of my friends and mentors. Um, but the answer was yes. And it's because of things like that. You know, it's because of getting into that restrictive mentality and not even getting the basics covered. So we aren't ultimately advancing performance. And I see the same things with, with my athletes as I do with fitness professionals as well. Um, so getting those basics covered, I think is of primary importance because the rest of the stuff isn't going to fall into place if we can't get those basic puzzle pieces to fit together. And what's unfortunate is the basics aren't so sexy. So people don't want to listen to that. They want to get straight to like, what about turmeric? And what about how, what about my supplements? I'm like, well, first we got to get the basics in and that it's just not sexy to talk about basics, but it's a prerequisite. Right. They want that fast result. And so it's like, well, let's just go all out and restrict and cut all this crap out. And then I'll get the result I want. But ultimately (laughs) when we look at the long run, it becomes a greater problem than the one we initially needed to solve. You guys keep saying they, they, and I'm like, me, me, (laughs) I mean, we fall into this. I'm like, I am like, you know, I'm totally obsessed with beans because of you. So Hala, totally. I don't know. I was, I once navig, I once, um, was the monitor for a nutrition panel that we had at mania. It was like, I learned so much. I was scared but it was all about beans. All right, here we go. Um, Parker, how do we help our clients develop a healthy relationship with food and avoid disordered eating patterns? Ooh. So I'm going to punt because this is like, I'll, I'll give a quick answer and then I'll punt because you're outside of my scope now, right? Um, right, right. Because we're, we're straight into disordered eating. So I can let like a big thing that I do Anytime I I try to address food biases up front, like that's what I try to address. If I'm working with a client, I'm trying to address food biases, right? My selfish food biases, I am 
I am biased away from carbohydrates, right? Like that is my self bias. Um, I know that a ketogenic diet and a low carbohydrate diet works for me. I have watched it work in a ton of people. I've watched it flip and reverse diabetes in a week in a lot of people. So I'm naturally gravitating towards that. When I'm working with a client, I make them log and journal what they are feeling, right? So like if they have a food where they're like, hey, I just had cheese and crackers and I feel really guilty because I shouldn't have had that cheese. I try to address, like I try to look at some of those things to kind of get them an idea of what it is that they're saying and what they're feeling about their food. But I also recognize that like that disordered eating is a hop, skip and a jump past my scope. So I'm going to point that one to Sahela because it is within her scope. Okay. All right. And you know, me, I, I punt, I don't, I don't work with disordered eating clients without a team either. You know, I mean, that needs to be usually, I mean, it's a, it's, it's one of the highest, you know, it's one of the mental health illnesses with the highest death rate. It's not, it's not easy to recover from. And that's why I love to catch people in the fitness industry. That's part of why I came here because of orthorexia, even as a student at University of Georgia, just a lot of us who are pursuing the interest of nutrition and fitness can take things too far. A lot of us on this call have done that in learning our own. Um, and if, if orthorexia was a diagnosis back when we studied, a lot of us would have had it because we were trying to check all the boxes and do it right. And I think kudos to the fitness pros who are trying to do that. I don't think anybody's raising their hand and signing up for disordered eating, but I think like she said, too much is too much. We can take a good thing too far. And I think a lot of the fitness industry is that because they're health seekers, that's a good thing about them. But in doing so, they seek and they're not necessarily looking, you know, they're going to Dr. Google or like you said, muscle and what'd you say? Muscle and muscle and fiction.com. Muscle and fiction. I love it. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket, but um, they get so confused. And then some of us as fitness professionals go outside of our scope and make it even more confusing to them, or we address a journey that we haven't personally tackled yet. And so then it gets to a point where they're so confused and then that disordered eating happens. And I like to catch them in that orthorexia, which if you don't know what that means, it's just a, a preoccupation with the purity of food or with perfect eating. And so it doesn't have a DSM-5 code yet, but it may soon. Um, it's very common and it usually leads into some other things. And I love that my role is to capture people there and move them towards healthy eating and healthy lifestyle and big picture, mental, spiritual, physical, energetic vitality before they get to that point. So that's what I really love to do. And, um, the, but well, once they're a clinical eating disorder, I I'm not an eating disorder dietitian. I have a limited amount of experience with people who are in a clinical close to being hospitalized state. And I know my, my scope as well, and I'm happy to refer them on, um, and, and especially involve a psychiatrist or psychologist, um, and all the help that needs to happen there. But a lot of times I'm able to spend a couple months um, with people and really completely, and this is one of my greatest joys as a dietitian is to really completely get them out of that disordered range completely. If they stick with me for a year, it's behind them. And I'm so grateful for that because then they don't have to suffer all the clinical GI and physical and bone and muscle um, and mental health issues that come with that. So if you feel like you're on that disordered path, I really do think, you know, I'm encouraging you to reach out. I'm happy to, to triage you if you have issues beyond my scope. Um, but I think don't wait on those things till you have big, big issues. Just a, a side note. No, it's not. It's not such a side note. It's very, very important. Thank you for sharing that. And um, Aaron, what advice would you give to make healthy choices when eating out or on the go? And what are some of the pitfalls to avoid when dining out? So first of all, I think one of the things that fitness professionals can do 
their client do for their clients is, is to not categorize food. We see that a lot in diet culture and that dichotomy of good and bad or red, yellow, green, or, you know, and we get into this dumpster fire of that shame spiral, that, that guilt of, oh gosh, well, that's a red food. And if I eat that, well, then I'm screwed. And that's, that's not the way it is food. Those macros are teammates. Your body needs all of them. The amount in which you need them is going to vary from person to person, obviously for multiple reasons, age, sex, activity level, et cetera. Um, but we can stop labeling food in such a way that it creates that dichotomy. And then I always encourage my clients like, well, if you want to eat out, that's, that's not a bad thing. It's not taboo and diet culture makes it taboo, right? It makes it very taboo. And then it, it, it gets you into this, this feeling of guilt. Well, gosh, if I eat out and I have that piece of cheesecake, I'm completely derailed. That is untrue, absolutely untrue. And so one of the things we can do, encourage your clients to like, check out the menu ahead of time. What sounds good to you? What resonates with you? What is something that's going to satisfy that craving? Because if you just continue to one, rely on willpower all the time, that is going to be depleted. We have to have tools and resources to conserve that willpower. Um, so it isn't just an issue of willpower and having them really answer those questions of what sounds good right now? What, what am I really looking for? What am I really craving instead of muting that craving? Because then when they're confronted with that craving again, they're going to really overcompensate and really overindulge. And then it's the, then we get into that shame spiral again of oh, I'm so guilty and I've, I've messed up. It's that all or nothing sort of cognitive distortion that, that we can, and along with our clients get into. So really thinking about, you know, having that conversation of what really sounds good to you right now and not having this, this language of, well, you can burn it off tomorrow. That I think is, is problematic as well. And we get into that like exercise is, is meant to, to move your body and make you feel good. And it's joyful and intentional. It shouldn't be as ever used as punishment. And I think that's one of the conversations we can have with clients is it's, it's about mindful movement. It's about just doing what your body is meant to do and finding something that you enjoy and that you're going to stick with. And the same thing too, helping them create those, that different language in their mind of this isn't good or bad it's a burger, it's pizza, or it's a salad. Like it is what it is. It doesn't have to be this black and white sort of thinking. And, and so Helen, I know, I know Parker, you're going to try to avoid the question, right? But um, what advice, so Helen, would you give to make healthy choices when people are eating out? I think we have to keep in mind that the, that the food industry is serving, you know, a football player and a petite teenager at the same time. So their plate um, that's one of the main things. I think people don't intend to do harm to their body, but they eat way too much and that's going to make them feel poorly and possibly, you know, have artery issues and all those other things. So I think just keep in mind that the restaurants are trying to one up each other for more on the plate for the same price. So I often encourage people to just to always plan to have it either split or have it left over unless you move a whole lot um, because they really do serve it as if you're moving a whole lot. So keep that in mind. Um, and then, you know, those are just some basics. I always tell people to look at your plate and hope it looks like Christmas. Look for red and green on your plate because we know that those bring good nutrition with them. And I don't mean red wine and green Skittles necessarily. I mean, you know, tomatoes and greens or whatever it is. Look for those on your plate and then round it out with good fats and good protein um, with the plants and the colors being the priority. And then you're going to feel good and feel full without having to eat this massive amount. So those are the quickest tips is just look for color, divide your plate up so that you have mostly 
um, mostly colorful foods, mostly plant-based foods, and then watch the portions because even good foods eaten in too much are going to make you feel poorly and possibly impact your chronic disease. Yeah, risk. I, I love uh, eat a rainbow, which I think is a so rainbow cool. eat like Christmas, whatever and, it is. And Parker, I want, I know we're, we're just about out of time, but can you address a little bit of the keto? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, that's, here we go. <laughs> um, so ketogenic diets, um, at the root of them, they're ultra low carbohydrate, high fat, adequate protein, right? Low carbohydrate, high fat, adequate protein. The key there is low carb, adequate protein. Um, so if like, if we take the context of these questions and what we're kind of been talking about, right? If I'm working with a ketogenic diet and I'm trying to help someone facilitate a, a, a healthy ketogenic lifestyle, right? Um, I follow something that's called a well-formulated ketogenic diet. And what that's going to look like on average is about 35 grams of total carbohydrates per day, right? 35 grams of total carbohydrates per day. So that's the first kind of threshold that we're going to set. So we're going to go in for every single person. Most like it's going to start, we're going to start there. That's going to be the first calorie level. Um, the next thing that we're going to add in is we're going to add in protein. We have, I have some calculations. I have some small things that I'll do, but I can tell you just on like the back of the hand, like napkin style math, most people end up close to a hundred grams of protein a day. Um, that's going to be significantly more than the RDA for most RDAs, like the amount of protein or the amount, it's the amount of nutrition that 98% of the population would need to not be deficient in something. So that's going to be a pretty high level at around hundred grams of protein per day. And then you uh, fill well, in the rest. If you say hundred grams of protein, how many chicken breasts is that? It's going to depend on the size of the chicken breast. <laughs> About four um, chicken breasts, right? So yeah. Four chicken so, breasts, halves. Four, four ounce servings. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So it's not a lot of protein. And that's the key is the adequate protein. A lot of people think it's a high protein diet. If you look at social media, everyone's like, you can eat all the bacon you want. It's not true. You can't. Um, instead it's adequate protein and then you fill in the rest with fat. Now, the difference between a ketogenic diet and a well-formulated ketogenic diet and a low carbohydrate diet is going to be the actual presence of ketone molecules. Um, that's going to be the key. So that's something that you can actually measure within your blood. It's a simple at-home test. It looks just like a glucometer that an individual with diabetes would use to test their blood sugar. It's really affordable. And what we will see with the ketogenic diet is a dedicated elevation in ketone values. And so like if I was working with someone that was going out to eat, the types of things that I would be recommending to them are going to be a big salad, right? So we're going to actually go for a big salad with dark leafy greens. They're going to have a serving of small, like maybe a couple of cherry tomatoes on it, going for a high fat dressing, avoiding the croutons, uh, maybe some broccoli in there, and then a small serving of protein that's going to be about the size of your fist, right? Like that's going to be like you're going out to eat style meal, or you might have, you might order the six ounce filet and put a pat of butter on top of it and have a side of broccoli or asparagus with hollandaise sauce or something. Um, so like that's the recommendation that you would have whenever you go out to eat. Um, ketogenic diet is fantastic. It's wonderful. Uh, it's not for everybody, right? Like there's, there's people that just absolutely gravitate towards it and love it. I'm one of those individuals. There's individuals who just cannot do it, right? Like I've been on a ketogenic diet for uh, probably eight years, some form of a low carb ketogenic diet for like the past seven or eight years. I just had my blood work done. My triglycerides were 42. My HDL was a hundred. Um, my LDL is well within range. So like, it's not the type of diet that's going to kill you despite what people tell you. Um, it's actually a fantastic alternative to a regular approach. 
Does that make Very sense? Very cool. And we're done. <laughs> okay, we're running <laughs> out of time. But I love this. Um, Aaron Parker and Sohela, thank you guys for joining us. I want to remind you guys, we have Atlanta Mania coming up. Our deadline is June 26th for our pre-registration rate. Be sure to check it out. You get 20 CECs, over 150 sessions, 40 world-renowned presenters. And actually, it's almost 50 world uh, presenters. And we've got a lot of certifications going on. And here's a short video. <laughs> Hope to see you guys there. We also have Dallas Mania that's coming up at the end of August. And then we have our wonderful Nutrition Summit that actually is going to be in October. And you're going to see these wonderful presenters at the Nutrition Summit. I believe the date is Saturday, October 21st. So please stay on the lookout for that. Thank you again, guys. What a pleasure. Really enjoyed it. And Chris, thank you for keeping us all in line. Okay. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, y'all.